Hey friends, just a couple of notes before we get started. First, in this episode, we talk about the physical changes in perspective brought about by special relativity as Terrell or Terrell Penrose rotations. We did that on purpose to draw your attention to some really amazing visualizations that we've linked in the show notes. But Terrell rotations are what you would see as a human traveling near the speed of light, and they're pretty dramatic. You can see around the corners of buildings, that, that kind of thing. These hyperbolic transformations, these special kinds of rotations, are actually Lorentz transformations. Technically, Terrell rotations are the distortions in your experience of three-dimensional space that are the result of a Lorentz transformation. We'll link some details in the show notes below if you're curious for more. Second, we wrote a book, an ebook, on particle physics. Some of you have been asking, so we converted all of season one into a single, downloadable book. It's available in both PDF and EPUB format on our website. We're selling it for $19.99, and each purchase comes with access to our corner of the website where you can download each and every update that we ever make pretty much forever. Our goal in the next few months is to upgrade the artwork to be even more informative, have more details, and even look closer like a field guide. Your support from each book purchased helps us pay for the podcast, the web hosting, the software licensing, that kind of stuff. It really, really helps us out and lets us produce more podcasts. See the show notes for more information. Anyway, let's get started. Hey, friends. Welcome to the Field Guide to Particle Physics. This is your informal guide to the subatomic ecosystem that we're all immersed in. Today, we're discussing the reason for antiparticles. Antimatter is uncommon, but it's not exactly rare. Antiparticles, especially those generated by cosmic radiation, are all around us, all the time. But just what is it doing out there? In a lot of ways, antimatter behaves just like matter does. Quarks make up protons, antiquarks make up antiprotons, and antineutrons too. Antiprotons and antielectrons, that is, positrons, combine to form antihydrogen atoms. The Antihydrogen Laser Physics Apparatus, or the ALPHA, experiment at CERN studies the spectroscopic properties of antihydrogen. That is, it uses photons to give a little extra energy boost to those positrons in the atom, or the antiatom. As those positrons relax to their ground state, they emit distinct wavelengths of light, just like regular hydrogen atoms. Photons, you see, are their own antiparticle. They interact with matter and antimatter in precisely the same way. If there were any difference between hydrogen and antihydrogen, any difference in mass, spin, or the magnitude of their electric charges, those wavelengths of light would also be different and the alpha experiment would be able to detect those differences. But no such differences have ever been observed. So again, what exactly is antimatter doing here in our physical reality? The one thing antimatter does not do is hang around. Antimatter annihilates with ordinary matter. Electrons and positrons annihilate to form a pair of gamma rays, or a pair of photons. If the universe were balanced between matter and antimatter, 
we wouldn't be here. Or, perhaps worse, we'd rapidly disintegrate into bursts of gamma radiation as our particles and those antiparticle partners annihilated. So if antimatter is so uncommon, why is it even here? What's the point? What's the reason for antimatter? Why does the universe need it? Well, to understand that, we need to talk about time travel. Our reality has four dimensions, three space and one time. Famously, Einstein's theory of special relativity tells us that these four dimensions are related. The relationship is nature's conspiracy to make sure that nothing travels faster than the speed of light. One way to think about how this works is time travel, literally traveling through time. When we are still, we are traveling forward through time. When we spring up to go for a run, we're still traveling through time, sure, but we rotate our perceived motion through time into space. This is a four-dimensional sort of rotation. Sometimes this is called a Terrell rotation. There are some stunning visualizations of Terrell rotation links in the show notes. I encourage you to check them out. The amount of Terrell rotation varies with speed. In a sense, we exchange some of our speed in the time direction to travel through space. The faster we go through space, the slower we go through time. But there is a limit to this kind of rotation. We cannot rotate our motion so deep into space that we travel backwards in time. The most we can do is cause time to stand almost still, which happens when we travel just shy of the speed of light. That's right, that rotation parameter is actually our speed. Light, of course, always and only travels at the speed of light, in the absence of matter anyway, and because everything that must travel slower than light, everything that has a mass, like protons, electrons, atoms, and, well, us, is subject to the ultimate cosmic constraint, the light cone. To visualize this four-dimensional cone, think of a camera flash. It's a sphere of light moving outwards from a point. The tip of the cone is us snapping the photo, and the vertical part of the cone corresponds to the dimension of time. At any moment, our reality can be cut into two regions, inside or outside our light cone. All those points that light can touch and those that it can't. Inside the light cone represents everything we can possibly hope to affect later in time. Outside the light cone is outside of our sphere of influence, if you like. It's outside of our agency to affect anything. The light cone, in other words, represents a boundary for causality. Because we cannot travel faster than the speed of light, any Terrell rotation we experience inside our light cone retains a positive flow of time, however slow. But outside the light cone, the same rotation can cause our perception of time to reverse. Outside the light cone, if we are traveling fast enough, we can perceive time flowing backwards. It's a fun thought exercise to try to figure out how we might perceive an event outside our own light cone, and I'll leave you to figure that one out, but here's a hint. Wait and see. If you're curious, check out our Instagram account in the coming days for the answer. Time flowing backwards might seem terrible for cause and effect, It would literally reverse the two. But time flowing backwards outside our light cone, outside our sphere of influence, has no bearing on our physical reality. 
As long as our causal influence is restricted to inside the light cone, the observable universe makes sense. Now let's tie this back to particle physics. You see, the relationship between the world inside our light cone and outside the light cone is intimately related to the relationship between matter and antimatter. The celebrated Dirac equation, the mathematics which describes particles like the electron, suggests that positrons are just electrons with negative energy. But what is negative energy? This interpretation was very confusing for quite some time. But you see, energy is intimately related to time. As time is to space, so energy is to motion through space. Energy, in other words, can be thought of as motion through time in some sense. So an antiparticle with negative energy can be thought of as a particle with positive energy moving backwards through time. In his 1986 lecture commemorating Dirac, Feynman, who is credited with formalizing this interpretation, gave a concise, technical, and frankly satisfying explanation for this phenomena, and it went something like this. Quantum theory predicts that particles tend to smear themselves out like a wave. In atoms, electrons smear out to form standing waves, which we call electron orbitals. In modern language, we say that these waves are really probability distributions for the particle's position and momentum. Left to their own devices, quantum mechanics tells us that these probability distributions spread out in space as a function of time. For example, when an alpha particle's smeared probability distribution spreads outside the nucleus, there's a non-zero chance that it will tunnel through and escape as radiation, alpha radiation. So you might ask, can the probability distribution of an electron spread outside the light cone? Unfortunately, the answer is yes. If you studied quantum mechanics in detail, this is probably no surprise. The path integral formulation requires us to consider every conceivable motion of the electron, including those moving faster than the speed of light. So it might seem that quantum mechanics and Einstein's theory of special relativity are fundamentally incompatible. If true, this would be a huge problem. Anything moving faster than the speed of light, even by the means of quantum mechanics, could mess with our notion of cause and effect. And causality is central to our ability to perform experiments and to make sense of the physical world. And yet, quantum mechanics, believe it or not, is compatible with relativity. You see, the smeared probability distribution for the positron can also leak through the light cone. Taken together, fortunately, the probability amplitudes for particles and antiparticles to be outside the light cone cancel each other out exactly. Why exactly? Because matter and antimatter are identical, at least up to an overall minus sign. What we call reality occasionally splits into particle-antiparticle pairs, or not, depending upon how fast we're going. In short, the reason for antiparticles is causality. Now, this is somewhat of a simplification to be sure. There are plenty of details to discuss about so-called virtual particles, parity, and particle-antiparticle annihilation. And we'll talk about those perhaps in another time. If you're interested in more of the details, a good place to start would be Feynman's 1986 Dirac lecture at Cambridge, linked in the show notes. With any mature scientific theory, there are nuances and details that are exciting to explore. 
We'll see more soon enough, but for now, let's just say that the alpha experiment at CERN, that experiment looking for differences between hydrogen and anti-hydrogen, has searched for violations in causality, that is, violations to the CPT theorem, and has excluded them at the level of 200 parts per trillion. This has been an episode of the Field Guide to Particle Physics, a copyrighted production of the Poseidon Institute. We're currently on Season 3, which is all about antimatter. Thank you so much for listening. The main reference for all things particle physics is published by the Particle Data Group, and this week's discussion also pays tribute to Richard Feynman's 1986 Memorial Dirac Lecture. If you're excited about particle physics and are looking for some fun Christmas presents, consider supporting us via our ebook, which covers all kinds of particles from quarks to pions to protons to the Higgs boson. For more details on physics, particle physics, or how you can help out, check out the show notes and the links to our website, pasatan.org. Mm-hmm.